Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Tuesday, January 9th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice, on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say Start Here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that, before you're done typing, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we'd appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Or, alternatively, you can send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. 
or you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. And if we get a comment or a question or an answer or a testimonial from you, we'll address it on the Internet show, and then as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time that occurred so that you can listen back through the archives for your feedback or input. We greatly appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that, whether it's through an email question or calling directly on the phone, because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's just a whole lot easier to do when we know how these things are landing for you whether it's a book we're reading and sharing and discussing, or it's uh, somebody reporting on worksheet processes they've done, or somebody asking for help in doing a worksheet process. If, if you have a favorite, if you have something that you have experienced as being helpful, please let us know, and we will endeavor to do that more often. So we have plenty of time for comments and questions today, 563-999-3581. We have, um, in the process we were going through reading The Way of Mastery with commentary, we have finished Lesson 5. And for me, I'm kind of sitting teetering about whether or not to go back and read through Lesson 4 and Lesson 5 again or give it a rest for a while and then come back to it. Uh, I'm not sure whether that indecision on my part is being fueled by the technical difficulties we had with Blog Talk Radio, or it's just a nudge of intuition that it's better to slow down this time through and give people a chance to kind of marinate in the work that we've discussed so far since it is so deep and rich and multifaceted. Um, I mentioned that I was um, working through a book by um, Paramahansa Yogananda's guru, Sri Yukteswar, and one of the things that prompted me to look into that book is that it was said that that book was motivated by a desire to highlight, to shine a light on the incredible similarities between the Eastern spiritual practices and all of the other religions and science in the West. And that just, that, that really, that resonated deeply with me, shocked me at some level. I mean, it brought up the, the emotion of, of shock and confusion for me because my entire 
education from kindergarten through college was Catholic. And through that entire process, with some very intelligent people, I was trained only in this one religious practice and this one faith community and this one little club and this one little set of rituals and rules for membership, etc. And one of the things I was taught was that this is the only true religion. And anybody who's not in that religion isn't getting saved, isn't going to go to heaven, isn't going to know God, etc. And it wasn't until literally when I was in college and started reading and, and I was assigned readings from Eastern philosophers and spiritual teachers and, you know, reading the books at Harthra and, and all of these things that I finally, and I say finally because it seemed like, you know, at that point in time I'd been alive for a long time. Now I know it was just a pittance, but it seemed like um, this can't be that there are all of these other religions out there and they've got really solid, loving, respectful teachings. And um, it, it, it took a long time before my brain could sort through that at different levels. And here's a book written back in the 1930s or 40s by a guru from the east, from India, who who really knew that all religions talk about the same thing, and they're just using different words to talk about it, and they're, they all have the golden rule, stated in one form or another like don't do unto do unto others what you would have them do unto you and don't do to somebody what you wouldn't want done to you etc messages about love messages about the unity or connection of all mankind messages about one supreme intelligence guiding this flow of creation so i was dumbfounded to discover that back in the 20s and 30s and or even in the 1800s there were people from other cultures and religions who understood the similarities across religions who had teachers that taught them about the other religions and the other teachings so that they could have access to the different teachings and compare them and understand the similarities. So, unlike some teachers who think, you know, we have we have somebody that um, has been attending support groups for years now, and she said, you know, I've run across a lot of people who find a piece of the truth and they start sharing it and teaching it. And it seems wonderful. And then after a while, they start to think that theirs is the only truth, the right truth, the one truth. 
and it gets a little sour. And then after a while, they start to think they are the truth, and then it really gets rancid. And so I was delighted to hear that Paramahansa Yogananda's guru, Sri Yukteswar, was given the task to write a book about the similarities across all religions and the similarities between the Eastern spiritual teachings and the Western, the brilliant minds in the West, the the best of the best scientists in the West. And... um, And that's kind of how I feel about seeing the similarities across the Course in Miracles and the Way of Mastery and Guy Finley's teachings and the yogic teachings of Michael Singer and the teachings of Diedrich Wolzak with his Choose Again worksheet which has been distilled out of The Course in Miracles and Byron Katie's work and the Sedona Release Method and on and on and on, all of these things that at their core, even, you know, coherence therapy, all of these things that at their core, to me, seem to be saying very much the same thing. And it prompted me years ago to come up with the statement Anything that works, truly works, is just like everything else that works. Whether it's dressed in different language and different jargon and different practices is irrelevant. If it works, it's doing the same thing as everything else that works. If it helps people move to be more loving, more joyful, more respectful, more aware of the gift of life and the miracles abounding in life, whatever it is that helps that happen is just like everything else that helps that happen. At least that was my take on it. So 563-999-3581, call that number, press 1, let us know how things are landing for you. Or, or nothing. Mm. Susan, welcome. Hi. Hi. Well, I've been doing the work, Dr. Tim. <clears throat> so I had a question. The, um, and by the way, if you repeat Chapter 4 and go through it slowly, it's only going to be wonderful. If you decide to go to 5, That'll be good, too, because the way you read, you infuse it with your own understanding, which the way you read helps us understand. It isn't as good for me to be reading it off the page anymore because the way you read it helps me understand things, and I think that may be true for other people. So um, I understand about the interruptions, you know, and how that might have felt like a derailment but I think you could get right on track, whichever you felt like doing. So I listened to the radio show uh, earlier this morning. Yeah. 
And the whole section about who in your family counted on you or expected you to fail, I couldn't really answer that yesterday. And my answer now is very convoluted, and I think it's probably correct, but my little sister and I, and I know here I am going through the story again, and I know Diederich Walzak discourages the telling of stories, but I went back there because the question invites us to go back to wherever we need to. And my sister and I would have been successful in relating to my mother in the, in the general happy family model if we had been good little girls, done what she wanted, behaved ourselves, played together nicely. But when we did that, my mother being the introvert she was and exhausted as she was with no help and five kids all appearing within 10 years, she would go read or she would go iron or she would go to the grocery store. She would do what the household needed. So my sister and I developed very soon the strategy of getting into a terrible fight when she was around and getting her attention was a kind of success, but it resulted in a whipping. So I thought, boy, this is, this is a very complicated answer to that question about failure. And, um, so that's my report about answering that one. I think my mother expected my little sister and me to fail and expected trouble. And and yet when she wasn't around, we played together nicely and got along very well. So I also realized from all of this that from the polyvagal book, he talks about safety. And I've always said to myself, well, the outside world felt a lot safer than the inside the house world. And so I got along with strangers, with teachers, with friends very easily. And that's what our Michael does. He goes out and he performs. He becomes transformed. He's a different person. He acts as if he can see, focus on, and love the people he's performing for. Then he comes home and he folds into himself and disappears as much as he can. So that's been part of the journal writing. I did only two worksheets. It seemed much more useful to do the mind shifter. And it's still going on. So... Okay, so the first input I would have for you is that the idea of for whom in your family of origin was it important for you to be a failure, that was not mm-hmm. intended for Susan Bingham. That was an example I gave mm-hmm. to to get into the question. Yeah. The, the things that were specifically intended for you were things like, so what would it what would it look like or what what do you 
believe will happen when you stop playing the role of your power person with Michael. Mm -hmm. Or other sentence completions that we talked about yesterday. Yeah. So I thought a lot about that too. So so don't don't get too caught in the trap of trying to think that I gave you the assignment of that I've got some deep insight that somebody in your family of origin wanted you to be a failure because that wasn't related to you. That was just a generic example. But I found it fascinating. I wanted to understand it. So as far as that goes, it was okay. And yet it may not. And and yet it may not be um, vibrationally as powerful or relevant for you as a question like, because you said so clearly yesterday with emotional passion that you become, you fall into the role with Michael that your mother played with you of being so harsh and judgmental, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so it might be more, fruitful from this energetic resonant perspective for you to do the sentence completion on that rather than the generic thing about for whom in your family of origin was it important for you to be a failure or to not succeed at a certain level because you haven't really presented that as a dynamic in your family of origin right that's true yeah i understand And then you were just talking about how, I think you were saying that you had the pattern when you were younger that Michael is displaying now. Yeah. Of connecting more with people outside the house than in. Mm-hmm. Is that is that what you were saying, that you've noticed that pattern? Yeah. yeah. I've noticed a lot of connections and also thought about what it would be like to not be in my power person mode around him, which would mean letting him be whoever he is, whatever he's doing, watch what judgments arise in me and just watch them without getting all tight in the chest. And that's just an ongoing thing, but one thing I learned right away is I have to kind of disappear. I don't know how to explain that. I have to become nobody. Have, where and where? Have no at home? At home, to myself, in the world, practice being nobody. What... what? What's giving rise to that thought or that pattern? Well, I'm somebody if I'm packed full of judgments. I am am nothing but a walking set of judgments when it comes to my goal. Sorry, Dr. Tim. I don't think this is... In the realm of what? talk aboutness, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fine. So so think about in terms of 
here's an exercise you can do, and you can either wait until the next time it happens, or you can do okay. a visualization and and not wait for it to happen. But you mentioned mm-hmm. something about feeling this tightness in your chest when you're mm-hmm. in judgment against Michael, right? Yeah. And one of the things that we know is so valuable is to use the body awareness, to use the signals that our energy system, whether it's physical, mental, or emotional, is feeding us. So one of the things you mm-hmm. can do, either in 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 life when the next time it happens, or you can do a visualization. Visualize being in the car with Michael the way you were two days ago. Mm-hmm. And visualize that tension in your chest, whether it's because of the judgment or it comes from trying to control the judgment and not let it out, whatever it is. Visualize the physical sensation in your chest and then visualize what would happen if you had a switch you could throw and the tension went away. And just notice what would shift in your body's energy system. What might replace it? Just get curious in that visualization. And make it as felt sense as you can. That's one way, that's a really good way to go at it because then you're you're inviting your body to give you some energetic feedback. Okay. Another thing you could do is you could do it as a sentence completion and you could say, you know, If I have this feeling of being critical of Michael without my chest being tight, dot, dot, dot. And then just see what wants to respond. So you can invite your energy system to show you what's the role that tightness in your chest is playing. Is it necessary because if you didn't have that tightness in your chest, you'd blurt out negative statements towards him? No. You don't, you don't know. But you and, and I'm not asking that question. I'm saying it's, those are the kinds of things that you'll discover if you let yourself do these experiential exercises. Yeah, and when you asked that question, I got, a, I got a very strong feeling that I wouldn't be safe if I didn't have the tightness in my chest. The chest thing is like jail bars or something. It's a wall. Okay, so you might speak your mind and it's not safe to speak your mind? No, I might get completely annihilated. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you do something when when the jail walls aren't there. Yeah. Well, so what? what's the thing that you would do? You'd speak up. No, I'd disappear. Right? You would disappear when you have judgment against Michael? And mm-hmm. you don't say I it? Wouldn't, I wouldn't have anything to say because I wouldn't have anything left. If you didn't have the judgment. If I let the wall down, the judgment would disappear and I would disappear. Okay, so you're saying that the wall keeps the judgment in place? And keeps me safe. Okay. And that's something that's really valuable to explore. 
That doesn't yeah. make any logical sense to somebody outside of you, but it will make really good <laughs> sense when you let yourself explore it. I will, yeah. I know it doesn't make any sense. But it will make emotional sense to you. That's the, that's mm-hmm. the value of that kind of work. Okay. It feels absolutely true to you. And here's the other thing that I thought of when I was listening back to the show from yesterday. Uh, uh, a statement from Guy Finley, an observation from Guy Finley, which is so useful at times like this. He says very, very clearly, there is no such thing as bad self-knowledge. Oh, I remember that, yeah. So you're avoiding doing the work or delaying it or whatever, probably because at some level there's a fear in you about what you would uncover about yourself or how it would change things in your life. And that's why it's so useful to remind ourselves there's no such thing as bad self-knowledge. Guy Finley says, yeah. you're never going to uncover a bad fact about you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's what the mind shifter has <clears throat> mostly been as an absolutely filthy spewing of judgments, anger, impatience, frustration, you know, really not very nice. And I don't say that as a judgment. I'm just watching it. There's so much garbage in there. So I'm hoping it'll start forming shapes and come useful. But right now it's just a blunderbuss of bad Of negativity? Yeah. Well, just, you know, for your um, kind of a reminder for you and as a, a reminder for others that the real value from the Mind Shifter tool or any other targeted journaling or sentence completion comes over time when I reread it. Yeah. When I sit with it. When I let myself, that- you might say, marinate in it. I listen to a very new posting of yours from Journey's Dream with Wendy Cole, and she talked about that, the transformational therapist. That was such a great interview. And I have a a niece, formerly a nephew, who's now in college, who had the guts to go through a transition when he was just a young teenager, but he had been so much, it was so obvious all through his childhood that he was really... Uh, he, this is a girl who needed to be a boy. And she went, I sent her the the podcast. I said, no need to listen if you don't feel drawn to this, but this is a beautiful example of a woman who had the guts to do what you had the guts to do when you were very young. And this woman was in her late 60s. I haven't heard back from him. This is a a, a girl slash boy who just went through another physical operation, had a complete mastectomy to complete the physical transition from girl to boy. And you'd never know by looking at him that he's ever been a girl. He's tall and hairy and big. 
which doesn't always happen. And he's very happy. And he was not happy before he made that transition. I wondered even if he had heard of her or even maybe counseled with her because he did have a very good counselor during this time. So uh, I've subscribed to those journeys, dream things, so they pop up as a notification and it was wonderful to get it right after he had this operation. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you found it useful. Um, It's been uh, quite a journey, no pun intended, with Journey's Dream. And the, uh, just for people who may not know, Journey's Dream is a nonprofit that was founded by three family members who had a son and younger brother lose his struggles with mental health and took his own life or had an accident that ended his life. However, mm-hmm. you know, you may never know that kind of thing. Yeah. And those three people got together with another gentleman who had his own, after he, in his, I guess he was 40 years old and he'd been a very successful business person and he sold his business and had millions of dollars and he went into a manic episode. Mm. And over the course of, I think it was like nine different hospitalizations and doctors and meds and things like that, he finally found a way to get healthy that didn't involve just numbing out his brain with drugs. Mm. And as, as fate would have it, he had been introduced to Dr. Michael Rice's reality management worksheet and the first residential intensive he went to, Michael asked me if I would give him a ride to the intensive. Mm. So so we drove down the eleven hours just wow. you know, Mark Haddis and I and then we spent nine days there at Heartland. And in that nine days at Heartland, Mark Haddis connected with and felt felt some kind of simpatico with Rex Montague Bauer. Right. And that was in like August of twenty twelve. Wow. And in January of twenty thirteen or 2011, whatever it was. But that very next January, Rex's son died. Mm. So Rex had been kind of connecting with Mark, trying to help him with his mental health struggles using the tools that Michael provides. And then Mark thought he could help support Rex and his family get through the loss of their son. And over the next few years, they went through all kinds of ups and downs of thinking, we need to take these tools to more people, and we need to take it to a corporate environment, et cetera. And um, 
eventually the nonprofit was born, Journey's Dream. Mm. And at some point in time they came to me and asked, you know, would I be on the board? And um, so that's how that came to be. And as a board member, they said, you've got certain responsibilities. And since you've been doing the Mind Shifters Radio and other, you know, stuff online, why don't you do a podcast for us? And that's how it came to be. Oh, and so the boy, podcast boy. has been going now for about four years. And there's mm-hmm. 152 interviews that have been published And the focus has been to find people who are working in the mental health field in a non-allopathic medical model, something that's either integrative or functional medicine-based or energy medicine or, you know, a, a new, oh, let's call it a, a new style of working with people or a new technique and a series of people who've had their own lived experiences with mental health issues and worked through them in a way that was beneficial. So there are people who've been had their own hospitalizations or people who've been on meds for years and come off of them. There are people who have been motivated to start their own residential treatment facilities There have been people who overcame their own addiction and then started working with addiction issues. And there have been psychiatrists that, full-fledged medical doctors training in psychiatry, and they've had their own lived experience with mental health problems, and they've been willing to be interviewed. And that's what's in that body of work that's available at, you know, the On Your Mind podcast .org or onyourmindpodcast.org, either one should take you there, or journeysdream.org slash podcast, all of those should work. Mm. I'm so, surprised that there are, how many of them you said, 124 or 42 100, or what? 152 at this point. Wow, that's amazing. All interviews done by you? Yes, yeah, these are the these are the interviews I've done for them, donating my time to that group over the last four years now. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, they're highly recommended. I can say I've listened to many. Certainly not 150. Um. Well, it is. Um, you know, it's enriching in different ways. It is uh, rewarding in different ways. Um, it's a labor of love, let's say, right? Or is that? And it's a free resource for people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's um, it's out there. Those interviews, most of them are also available on YouTube, so you can see the person and you can see me interviewing them and. They're also available as a podcast, so you can just listen to the audio. And they're available however you find your podcast. But it's also, you can go to journeysdream.org slash podcast and just listen through their podcast player. Mm-hmm. 
So thank you for mentioning it. I'm glad that it's uh, been useful. And I'm glad you're you're willing to share it with others because that's there's really no budget for this, right? It's all done with volunteer uh, people volunteering their time, like me, and people donating money, like me, and other people donating their time, and so every little bit of help to get that spread around is appreciated. Well, it should be spread around. They're really great. And I have a very good friend whose daughter has been, she's 27 and living at home and has been diagnosed bipolar. And I've told the mother to listen to these. And she's also part of NAMI and um, getting some input, not just from the regular psychiatric treatment with drugs root. This is where this is so good. You don't have to do that. You might for a while, but you don't have to forever. Well, I'm, I'm, I just said it again, I'm just very grateful that it's useful wherever it is and appreciate anybody's willingness to share the, the, the podcast and the links. Yeah. Well, I'm 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 going to get off just because I've run out of I'm okay, still in the middle good. of this work, but yeah. Yep. Well, I appreciate it, and I'll I'll let you go and and thank you for your time and um, and tell you we're sending loving thoughts and blessings your way as you do that work. Thanks. Tim. All right. Blessings. So we have some time left. We've got about 18 minutes left. Um, I think Jen, Janie, Jeannie was saying yesterday she's hopeful that uh, we didn't lose too many of our listening audience through all the difficulty we've had with Blog Talk, and and it's 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 visible. There are quite a few, many fewer people on the switchboard since we've come back. I think she said we lost 16 or 18 days of of um, Mind Shifters Radio. Um, and so, uh, as a as a bit of a, a teaser, since there's um, I don't know, it's, uh, only 18 minutes left, I will um, talk a little bit about the book. I, I did this interview on um, Journey Stream. It published last week, I believe, with Bill Sturley. Bill wrote the um, the book, The Emotional Sobriety Solution. And um, I'll let you tune into that podcast if you want to to get his definition of emotional sobriety. But um, he's got a checklist. He says, um, is this book worth reading? Well, it might be worth reading if you frequently experience an emotional roller coaster within yourself or if you often find yourself stuck on someone else's emotional roller coaster. Or if there is an angry person in your life, maybe it's you and, and that's okay. Or if you have difficulties in communicating safely to others when they are emotional. 
or you might be interested in this book, If You Become Silent or Walk on Eggshells When People Around You Are Emotional. Or you might be interested in this book if you've been searching for ways to quiet the internal critic in your own mind. Or perhaps you're looking for ways to protect yourself from people in your world who express judgment about you. Or perhaps you or someone in your family or a team member or coworker have struggled with addictive behaviors. Maybe the things other people say and do, quote, get to you, close quotes, and you experience emotional upsets that you think are a result of that. Maybe you experience pain and sensitivity as you react to the tragic things people say and do in the world. Maybe you would like to experience the joy of celebration more fully and more often. Perhaps you would like to be able to get to let go of the past and mourn upsets safely with more closure. Maybe you wonder if there's a way to let past pain stay in the past and stop hurting you in the present. And then he says, from this checklist, if you've checked at least five of the above, this book is definitely for you. And if you have seven or more, I recommend you complete this book in the next 27 days. He says, when you practice the content and the recommended sentences, phrases, and various concepts in this book, and practice them so they become second nature, you'll use them for the rest of your life. Emotional sobriety is a very practical and time-saving way to reduce conflict, and the payoff is the experience of creating harmony with others in any given moment. So, I think I've mentioned this before, this is the first book I've ever read where the words are color-coded. Some of the words are actually printed in colors. That's why it's so valuable to get the hard, hardback, hardcover book rather than the Kindle, because in the Kindle there's no color coding. But the key to the cover coding, color coding is that any word that is an observation is colored blue. Any word that refers to a feeling is colored red. Any word that refers to a need is colored yellow. And any word that outlines a request is colored green. And what he's learned from years of observation is that when we have a negative emotional state or attention come up in us, what's happening is there's a need that's not getting met and we're generating the negative emotion because of that. I hope people who are listening to the Mind Shifters Radio in this podcast understand how similar this is to the idea that any time I have a negative emotion, there's a goal that's not getting met. There's a need that's not getting met in Bill Sturley's work. And what he says is, if we can learn to talk about how this feeling is coming up in me, 
in the process of me experiencing a need that's not getting met, in that moment, I start to release some of the stress and tension. I start to understand this is all an inside job. I'm the one generating this emotion, and my mind is telling me it's about this particular need not getting met. And rather than attacking somebody else or getting defensive, if I can be clear and state a request, I I would like some support in getting my need for connection met here. I would like some support in getting my need for understanding met here. I, I need to find some tools to get my need for effective communication met here. If I can start doing that, if I can start learning to make straight, clear, clean observations without all the judgmental, emotional baggage attached, and I can get clear about the fact that whenever I'm experiencing a negative emotion, it'll be tied in some dynamic to needs within me that aren't getting met or goals that I'm holding that aren't getting met. And once I get clear about that, ways to drop out of the defensiveness, to get clear about which parts of my brain are operating right now, and to get harmony inside my own brain, uh, it's 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 a wonderful, simple way to talk about it and to help yourself start thinking about what might be going on inside of you whenever you have a tightness or a tension or a need or a goal that's not getting met. Now, in a little bit of a shift of gears, my mind is telling me to come back and spend the next 10 minutes talking about a promise a promise that's found at the beginning of the way of mastery. A promise that was written by J.M. channeling Yeshua. And it shows up after the editor's note in the big blue book that's called The Way of Mastery. The big blue hardcover book has three different books in it, The Way of the Heart, The Way of Transformation, and The Way of Knowing. And it's still, I still chuckle at the fact that I read this dozens of times and never saw the connection between this and what Michael Rice calls the place in The Course in Miracles where it describes forgiveness. And that place in The Course in Miracles says, Open a curtain in your practice, right? Cancel everything you think you want, your trifling treasures put away, and leave a clean and open space for the Christ mind to come. And in the Kaboris manuscript, the word in Aramaic that was translated through Greek and into English as forgive, the word was shebag. And in the ancient Aramaic, it means to cancel, to, to dismantle, to drop, to put down, And so here it is, the promise at the beginning of the way of mastery. It says, I promise you this. 
if you become wholly, totally committed to awakening from the dream that you have dreamt, and that dream you've dreamt since the stars first began to appear in the heavens, and if your one desire is to be only what your creator created, then lay down on the altar of your heart with every breath everything you think you know everything you think you need and look lovingly upon every place that fear has made a home in your mind. In other words, every negative judgment about yourself or anyone else you've ever bought into. Look lovingly on those negative judgments. Allow them as your own creations. Accept them, trust them, embrace them because that's the only way to transcend them. And if you do that and invite the correction in your own mind work processes to come, it will come. The promise says, regardless of how you experience it, it will come. And the day and the moment will arise, and all of your pain and fear and suffering will have vanished like a wind that pushes the foam of the wave away, and it will be revealing the clarity of the ocean beneath you. You will literally feel throughout your being that there never was a dream. Some memories might remain with you, and you will know that somewhere there must have been a dream that was dreamt, or you might have had a thought of wandering and wondering what it would be like to be other than the way your Creator created you. But this will be such a faint echo that it will leave no trace upon you. Once the correction comes, it will be complete. In your heart, you will smile gently, regardless of the circumstances in which you find yourself. There will be peace from the crown of your head to the tips of your toes, and that peace will walk before you wherever you go. It's critical here to hear them say, regardless of the circumstances you find yourself in. You might find yourself sitting there with a diagnosis of cancer and somebody giving you a prognosis that you've got six months to live. And the peace will be there from the crown of your head to the tips of your toes. And that peace will walk before you wherever you go. It will enter a room before you enter it with your body. And those who are becoming sensitive will wonder, Gee, who has just come into this place? And some will even say, Behold, I believe Christ has come for dinner. And you will be that one that they're sensing. You will be the, the one who is such a clear conduit for the Christ mind that it is expressing uniquely through you in that moment with such clarity that it will be recognized by certain people who are coming awake. And so if you're having something in your life that's happening and it's not so pleasant and or you think it's torturous and bad news, try to remember that if you come into what you were 
meant to be, if you bring your conscious awareness I, I, I wrote this story to a, a person within the past week I said I know something about the feeling that there's nothing left to give up to give one hope and when all the conditioning of the mind and the seeming evidence lines up to form a picture of doom and yet life flows on it reminds me of the story of the queen who suffered from manic depression she was so tortured by the extreme ups and downs in her mood that she put out a proclamation announcing that half of her queendom would be awarded to the person who could give her the secret that would help her come down a little when she soared too high and bring her up a little when she crashed too low well as you can imagine Experts came from all over with contraptions, pills, magic wands, rituals, and all manner of so-called solutions. The queen was so desperate that she tried them all. Nothing worked. She was exhausted and resigned to live her life in the torture of the extreme moods. Just as she was about to give the order to cancel the proclamation and withdraw the promised reward, an old woman in plain dress approached her throne, asking permission to speak to her privately. The queen felt the weight of resignation so heavily that she didn't have the energy to protest. The guards stood at the ready to intervene in case the old woman had ill intentions. The old woman approached the queen on her throne and whispered something in the queen's ear. The queen's face looked blank and then shifted to a look of confusion. A few minutes later, a slight smile graced the queen's face and her body visibly relaxed. After a few more moments, the queen eased back on her throne and settled into an easy, comfortable position, breathing evenly. Finally, the queen spoke in a firm voice, Give this woman half my queendom. For many months, the queen's mood was much improved and stable something that had not happened in the many years since the queen had ascended to the throne and the pressures of the monarchy had taken their toll on her. Her chief advisor never asked about what happened, not wanting to jinx it or upset the apple cart. But as time went by, as she tried to control her curiosity, eventually she couldn't constrain herself. She approached the queen and she begged her to reveal what had that old woman whispered in the queen's ear that seemed to have such a powerfully positive impact on the queen and her mood? The queen replied, That woman whispered four simple words into my ear, which I've been using whenever I feel myself getting too low or too high. She simply said, This too shall pass. And they all lived ever after feeling the ups and downs of life fully and deeply, never again fearing the extremes, resting in the awareness that even the extremes will pass. Please know that whether you feel it or not, you are being held in a blessing. That's the end of our time for our first hour. I will remind us all that we come from love. We are made of this stuff we call love. We actually are love. 
everything else is false. I'll turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Late getting on today. I didn't get to hear your show. Well, um, can't can't get to all of them. (laughs) There's more going on in life than just Mind Shifters Radio. I know, I know. Blessings. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. And today is Tuesday, January the 9th, 2024. And our call-in number is 563-999-35 and press 1. And that puts you into queue to talk to us. We'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And uh, give Michael a moment to dial in. We get Aria again this afternoon. We had her yesterday afternoon. And uh, she's just she's so funny. She just keeps us going. But uh, anyway, if you have a question or if there's something going on in your life that we can support you with, then press 1 and ask your question. You know, that's the question's more important because then that leads us to the answer. Whether we know it or not, Spirit will guide and tell us how to respond. That made me think of, I was working with somebody yesterday and was talking about the still small voice. And, you know, there's so much going on in this world, the, the ruckus on the, the television and the news and, and everything and everybody's lives are so busy. And there's a, a exercise that I do when I do women's intensives and I'll take one woman out of the room and then I'll come back in the room and I'll explain to everybody else that when I bring this woman back in, they are to make all of the noise and just be loud, yell, scream, you know, give her directions, whatever, and uh, just keep on the whole time. And they'll be scattered out through, you know, it won't be in a straight line or anything like that. So when I bring the other lady back in, she's blindfolded. And I tell her that no matter what, she needs to listen to my instructions. You know, she might crash into somebody or something and that I'll be stepping right in front of her and giving her directions and she needs to listen to me and nothing else. So she's blindfolded and we come in and as soon as we come in, everybody else is yelling and screaming, you know, don't listen to her, come over here, blah, blah, blah. And I'm walking right in front of her, but I'm walking really low. So she has to really focus on what I'm saying in this really low voice to be able to hear, you know, do I say take two steps to the right, take two steps to the left, come forward five steps, you know, or whatever. And if she doesn't listen to me and she pays attention to all the noise and somebody else yelling louder, you know, to go right when I'm saying go left, you know, then she ends up where she doesn't want to be. So at the end of the exercise, and she successfully gets through, and I asked her what it was like. And she said, it was so challenging to knock out all the other noise and just focus on my voice. And so I told her, I said, you know, that's the way it is. There's so much noise going on in the world. And there's a still, small voice. It's that inner tutor, the intuition, the spirit inside that's giving us directions. But if we're not listening to that still, quiet voice and we're being distracted by all the noise, 
then we end up where we don't want to be or we crash into something and then we'll blame that something for getting in our way when if we had just listened to that voice, we would have been directed in a way that we would have avoided the collision. And so I use that a lot as an example of what the still small voice is. So what's going on in your life? What noises are distracting you from listening to that inner guidance? You know, is there anything that we can do to support you? Um, what does that bring up for you when you find yourself at the end of a a journey where you went the wrong way or whatever? And, you know, the GPS in the car, well, which now it's on our phone, but we put in there, you know, this is where I want to go. And it says, okay, what's your location? Well, if you give it your correct location, then it will give you good directions. But if you tell it you're somewhere that you're not, then it'll give you directions that don't mean anything to you. And a lot of people do that. They say, you know, oh, I'm enlightened and I'm knowledgeable and I've got it all together and everything. Well, if that's not really where you are, then the directions you get are not going to be um, applicable to your life. And But, you know, we have free will. We did a whole series on free will. You can go back and pick up and listen to, but... The GPS will say, okay, from where you are to where you want to be, this is the best route to take to get you there the quickest to avoid traffic or accidents or road construction or whatever. But if it says, you know, go up here one mile and turn right on 5th Street and you decide you don't want to go that far and you turn right on 1st Street, the GPS isn't going to jump off of the dashboard or out of your phone and smack you for not listening to its direction. It's going to wait, and in a second, it's going to go recalculating, or it'll tell you to turn around, or you know, whatever. To in from the new place that you are, it will give you new directions. And but we have choice. You know, we don't have to listen to that guidance. We can choose to do whatever it is that we used to do. I'm going to check and see if Michael's having technical difficulties getting in. It's not showing you on the switchboard. Okay. <laughs> well, can you I hear me not, if I speak? I can hear you, but you are not on the switchboard. That's weird. That's really, yeah, well, it is weird. <laughs> I be here. <laughs> So welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. Looking forward to what unfolds in this coming year and the next and the next and the next and the next. As eternity unfolds before us. And you know, one of the things we've talked about when we've gone into the codependence work is the pseudo-solutions of the non-being mind. And we've talked about the number one pseudo-solution being if I could just figure this out. And I was processing yesterday with a, a man who's a, a pretty successful physician, makes a lot of money. And uh, one of his uh, statements was that because of his what he's doing and the alternative types of medicine he's practicing and the difference he's making in people's lives and how cool he is. 
And his words were, I'm becoming a doc that's a sex symbol in, in um, social media. And I'm realizing that this one isn't in the codependence workshop, so it'll, it'll, it'll be in there the next time I do it. But the, uh, <clears throat> the struggle that he's been through to produce that status, knowing him and the processing that we've, I've done with him, underlying his drive to achieve that posture, that position, or that image, is the power person dynamics that were fed to him of worthlessness. So driven by unconscious worthlessness, a belief he holds about himself, he's stressing and straining and striving to become this something in the world. And I haven't quite gotten to the point where I'm going to present this to him yet because I think he's going to be pretty disturbed by it. But somebody who holds that underlying power person message that you're worthless could really achieve, you know, could be Times, Man of the Year, oh, this magazine's most the sexiest man on earth, Scientific America, brightest scientist in the world on the cover. And none of that will correct what's underlying the drive to get there. And all of the effort, all of the energy, all of the money being spent is a reaction to this unconscious. Not that he couldn't do all that stuff anyway. I mean, if he were doing that, it would be wonderful. You know, go for it. Be the sexiest man of the year. Be the, the scientist of the year. Be the doctor of the year. Be the sex symbol of the year. Be the man of the year. Great. Out of being, because that's who you are. But tricking oneself into believing that all that achievement out there will do one scintilla of work on changing the underlying power person message is futile. I was processing with someone the other day around the responsibility communication work. And most people don't want to face what's inside of them. Most people don't want to deal with what's inside of them, which is called healing. That's why we have a huge drug problem in our country, both legal and illegal. Virtually everybody's trying to get away from something. Everybody's trying to hide something from themselves. And here's where all your drive to fentanyl and everything else comes from. <clears throat> here's where all the antidepressants and all the antipsychotics, all that stuff. That's all that's doing is trying to escape something that's going on inside. And the way we word that in the responsibility communication process is that 
what you want to do first, like your first order of business, is to do your healing work. Where, you know, somebody's doing responsibility communication around a, what they perceive to be a problem, quote-unquote, and virtually everybody is addicted to problem-solving. If I could just solve this problem, that's probably the number two pseudo-solution. If I could just solve this problem, then everything would be okay. And the person who was doing the responsibility communication process, they're, you know, of course the problem's out there and the whole conversation was about how they did this and they did that and they're like this and they're like that and they enraged me and they and they and they and they and they. And, they. and so we talked about responsibility communication and, you know, the fact that reality is a construct of your mind and what you want to use your words for is to describe the content of your mind reflecting that you're responsible for it. <clears throat> And I said, I'd be happy to give feedback. There's somebody I've been working with privately. I'd be happy to give feedback if you write it and send it to me. And my response when I got it was, what a great projection communication. This is going to be such a foundation for learning how to move into responsibility communication. And the whole goal of the effort was to change her, the object of attention, the person who was the problem, the person who was vicious and unkind and demeaning and egotistical. The whole thrust of the communication was to change them, to solve that problem. And, you know, I've heard some of the interactions with this person, you know, firsthand, and I can see that, <laughs> it's, it's a, a big issue. And that person clearly is in destructive mode. But if you're the one that's in disturbance and you think your disturbance is about what they're doing, then you're in denial. Clearly, this person, again, having witnessed some first-hand communication, this person really has some deep work to do to move out of their projections. But their projection isn't my problem. My problem is what's going on in me. And when we talk about responsibility communication, I point out that the purpose of communication, and most people rarely, you will rarely in the world hear people use words for the purpose of communication. What most people use words for are to solve problems, to get their way, to get what they want, to achieve what it is they want to achieve. And that isn't communication. In that particular workshop, I define communication as the realization that I have a structure, a construct in my mind that I call my reality. And what I'm attempting to do is to get my reality into your mind intact. Now, you'll remember we've defined a word as a tool of communication. And, you know, in the workshop, I put that out. Is that a reasonable definition for everybody? Well, so it is. Yeah, that's a good definition. 
So then when words are being used, it's an indicator that there's an interaction happening between two or more people. Is that a reasonable conclusion? Everybody agrees? Yeah, that, yeah. I'm speaking to you. I'm using words. You're speaking to me. You're using words. So it's an indication that there are two of us involved. So then I point out in the workshop, if you stop for a moment and just observe your mind, you'll notice there are words running in there. And those words aren't being spoken. They're not being communicated with anybody outside of you. So if words are tools of communication indicative of an interaction between two, who's in there with you? Who's communicating with who in that case? You know, in the context of our conversation about uh, AI, artificial intelligence in you is communicating with original intelligence when words are running in your head and they're not being spoken to anybody else. And artificial intelligence is always trying to tell you what to do, your past, your, your, what people have called your programming, but literally the content of carbon-based memory, generational patterns, wants to tell you the meaning of this, 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 and this. And if there's actually going to be an, uh, an actual beneficial healing exchange between two people, one or the other is going to have to recognize that they have a construct in their mind, a reality. And if they can successfully place that reality intact. Now, the minute that, and most people, you know, we've talked about it before, most everybody is a card-carrying member by the age of four of the one world universal religion of blame. And if you utilize words to try to convince somebody else that they're the problem in your life, you are going to arouse their who's in there with them. And if you arouse their who's in there with them, what chance do you suppose there is that you're going to be able to get your reality into their mind intact? It's just about nil. So projection communication is a situation where I have a reality in my mind and I'm going to do my best to use my words to prove that my reality is caused by you and it's your fault and if you change, everything would be better. That's called projection communication. Like I'm pretending that you're the one who placed this in my mind. It's like, duh. Responsibility communication, I'm going to use words to describe the construct in my mind in a way that reflects that I'm aware that it's in my mind and belongs to me and nobody else. And if without arousing your who's in there with you, if I can get this reality into your mind intact, then we're going to have the beginning of real, actual, honest-to-God communication. And that's where healing happens. So the simplest form of responsibility communication looks like, you know, the simplest form of projection communication, well, you did that and that really made me mad. Simplest form of responsibility communication in that situation is, well, you know, you did thus and so. And what that brought up in me is a part of my mind that I realize is holding some anger. Now I've communicated that same thing, I've got this anger going on me, but in one case it's all your fault, in the other case I realize it's my responsibility and it belongs to me and the reason I'm experiencing this is because it's inside of me. And I can only forgive what's inside of me if I can access it. And I can't access it while I'm pretending that it's caused by you. 
It's just impossible. So when you utilize responsibility communication, use your words to reflect that you know that what's going on in your mind is yours and that you'd like to bring that reality intact into another person's mind. Once that other person gets what your reality is, as opposed to reacting to your blaming them, in, I don't know, over 25 or so years of working with people and doing the responsibility communication on a one-to-one, you know, working with two people with it, at least 99% of the time, no matter how hostile that person has been in the past, when you actually own what's going on in your mind and you realize there's healing that's needed, you'll have a person who'll step up to support you. I, I really believe that most human beings are just loaded and filled with goodwill, but they've been convinced to be members of this one world universal religion of blame, and they're convinced that they have to blame themselves, or pardon me, protect themselves from everybody else that wants to blame them, that when you start using projection language, or when you did this, you made me so mad, and when you did that, you hurt my feelings, and when you did that, it did this, and you destroyed it. And, and when you start using that projection language, people aren't going to respond very well because they know they're blamers and they know what blame means. Even though they're not cognizant of it, they know it. So rather than aiming for problem-solving in a situation, you know, oftentimes a big issue comes up between people. There are a lot of facets to it. And, and sooner or later, there's a problem there to be solved. And, and again, that's what most everybody's mind is addicted to, to solving the problem. But what's more important is healing. Do the healing work first. Step into responsibility communication. Do the healing work. And then, if there's still something to be done about the problem, solve it. But if you put the cart before the horse, you, you're guaranteed by putting the cart before the horse, the problem solving before the healing, that you are going to be also an example of the title of my book. Why is this happening to me again? Because until you allow yourself to become conscious of the part of you that holds pain that other people are bouncing off of and resonating for you, that you're blaming them for, but, you know, you've been through that painful reality 87 different times with 42 different people. Healing. Healing requires responsibility. And once you tell the truth, rather than have to make up stories to pretend that everybody else is the problem in your life, and, you know, just take a look in the media at some of the stuff that's going on politically and in the, the uh, celebrity world. Just look at how many conversations are going on where somebody's trying to make somebody else responsible for what's going on in their lives. <clears throat> the victim game.
responsibility communication just moves into a whole different realm. So that's a powerful tool that we use. And there is a, a worksheet on the website. If you go to whyagain.org and you look under other worksheets. Actually, Jean, do you know just how one would get to the responsibility communication worksheet? Yes, if they, uh, and I'm going to the website as we speak, so I give the right directions. <laughs> All right, so if you go to whyagain.org, and in the upper left corner, there's a Start Here button. And if you click on that, then you can scroll down on the Start Here, and there is a section, you know, the first ones are, are like some videos and things, and then the Stress Reality Management um, and then the special instructions, and then right below that it says other worksheets, commitments, and posters uh, besides the reality management. And then if you scroll down, there is a section that says responsibility communication rules. And I will actually, and then there's um, three examples that we give of different ones. So I will put that in the notes for today too. So they could actually just click on responsibility communication in the notes for today. and It will take them directly to that form. And I'll put the uh, examples in there as well. But that's where they'll find it. Cool. Awesome. And Actually, I did refresh. Uh, oh, go ahead, sweetie. I refreshed my switchboard so you did show up. And actually, there was a hand up also, but then it disappeared. So I'm not sure if they still want to talk or not. If you do, oh. press one. Well, maybe they thought we were ignoring up. them. They may have, <laughs> but everybody's showing up on the switchboard now. And uh, so if you were the one that had your hand up, press one again, and it'll put you right up there. Be delighted to have a conversation. And if and the there's hand, no hand and up. The, it just went back up, and I believe oh, cool. that it is Pete, awesome. Peter, area code 619. You're on the air. Welcome, good morning, good sir. Good Michael. Hey, good morning. How are you, sir? Doing great. Uh, I was interested in Jeannie's story of working with people, uh, being the quiet, guiding voice as they went through all the noise. I thought that was a great example. And she said, if you don't know where you're starting from and you don't know where you are, it's going to be hard to get over there uh, where you want to go and kind of clear that mess out. So I was just going to relate it to an aviation pilot story, two stories. Uh, Korean Airline 007 misprogrammed their computers of where they started and the gyroscopes thought they were on course the entire route, but they were several miles off, and they flew into Russian airspace, actually Soviet, I think it was then, <clears throat> and they got shot down, uh, passenger airliner. And then I knew somebody in my airline who was in the Caribbean on the island and programmed the wrong island. So they flew back off course the entire way until the land-based systems could update the uh, navigation, which they do. 
but uh, that's 20 years ago. In today's world, the satellite's updated, but I just thought there was an analogy there. Michael, you're talking, but you're not coming through the phone. Well, I'll just add to that too, Peter, you know, that um, there's no punishment for making a wrong choice or not following direction, but there are consequences for the choice that you do make. Yeah, sure. And in my book, I always wrote, you got to know where you're starting from. That's kind of where I was leaning. But, Absolutely. Uh, and and that applies the in the mental-emotional realm just as urgently as in the physical. If I oh, think yeah. I'm in this wonderful, you know, the puffed up, I'm wonderful and everything, and I know all, everything, and the truth is I've got some blind spots and some ignorance going on, I'm going to be in just as much, metaphorically, I'm going to be in just as much danger as the pilot who thinks he's flying into, you know, Europe and ends up in Russian airspace. (laughs) And there's some pretty severe consequences. So, obviously, they've added technology to prevent that from happening, (laughs) because you don't see a lot of that today. But, um, yeah, that was the first first chapter in my first book was you don't know we don't know what we don't know true and fortunately we're learning it right yes um, with teachers like you a lot of us are learning a lot quicker than it would have otherwise Well, delighted that I can shorten your uh, learning curve with having spent the last 50-plus years developing an understanding of it and and hopefully presenting it in a way people can relate to and and quickly make use of it. To me, that's the whole vision of this work is to make it available in a way that people can quickly make use of it. Well, I think it's great, and I just wanted to say thank you. And, Jeannie, I loved your story of how you demonstrate that with your women's group. Well, thank you, and you're welcome. Cool. It applies to listening to this still small voice for sure. And it's interesting that there are people who have learned that if they can create enough noise and distraction, people will never hear the truth. That's what a lot of what's going on in the political world today is people who are just creating so much distraction. You know, that's one of the uh, one of the pseudo solutions of the non-being mind is to obfuscate, to uh, distract, confuse, switch issues. You know, you'll hear people who do the "you did it too." It's like, okay, you know what? You're right. I did it too. But what we're talking right now is when you did it. So how about if we finish cleaning this up, and then let's process what I did, and I'll clean that up. But there are all kinds of ways to obfuscate. Actually, let me, let me just quickly, I just happen to have a list here of the, uh, the, 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 for the dozen top pseudo-solutions. I just made a note that we're going to put problem-solving as one of them. But what are the pseudo-solutions 
that are reflective of states of the non-being mind. One, again, if I could just figure this out, what, why, how did this happen? Two, fight. Winning becomes most important. If I could just beat them, then everything would be okay. All of this is a way to avoid healing. Forgive them or myself. I'll just let them off the hook. I'll just let myself off the hook. Fix them. Actually, they're, they're non-being states that, uh, that go with each of these. Let me go back and throw in the non-being states too because I think it adds a, a little bit of a, a dimension to it. So someone who's stuck in figuring it out gives up their human life to become a non-human thinking. Someone who thinks fighting is the way to win and that winning is most important, you could just beat somebody else, they give up their human lives to become non-human judgings. Someone who plays the game of pseudo-solution, I'm going to forgive them or myself, ends up giving up their human lives to become a non-human fixing, a non-human doing, a non-human pleasing. The next pseudo-solution, if I could just fix them or myself, which really means if only I were good enough or if only they were good enough, and that person gives up their human life to become a non-human pressuring. The next pseudo-solution that I've identified is if I could just find somebody to love or someone to love me, that is, if I could just find somebody to approve of me or somebody that I could approve of. That person then condemns themselves into give, into, in giving up their human lives to become a non-human faking. Number six sort of solution is, if I could just control everything and everyone. And they give up their human lives, love to become a non-human controlling the next one is to strain and struggle to make up for a non-being life. And that person is looking for validation rather than healing the part of them that has been invalidated. So they give up their human lives to become a non-human having and non-human getting. This is the one that kind of fits with uh, what I'd spoken about in the early part of the, uh, of the show. Number eight pseudo-solution, if I can just put my pain deeply enough into my brain's image of you, that is, blame you accurately, accurately enough, and convince myself that they're the problem in my life, then that pseudo-solution leads one to becoming a non-human blaming. And if you look at these, you know, when you look at the state that one, then you can kind of reason backward. Oh, if I'm always blaming, 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 what have I done? Oh, I'm trying to make up for a non-being life. I'm trying to convince myself that somebody else is the problem. Another of the pseudo-solutions is to just, I'm just going to take the easy way. I'm going to stay on autopilot, do all the behaviors that were done in the past, even though I hated it when they were done with me. I'll just do it to my children. My, my power person did it to me, so I'll just pass it on. That person becomes a non-human suffering and a non-human victim or a non-human inflicting pain. 
the next pseudo solution is if I could just be right. If everybody would just know that I was right, this person never suspects self and can prove it in heartbeat they're not responsible. So that person gives up their human lives to become a non-human convincing. And then the one we talked about at the beginning of this part of the conversation, to obfuscate, to distract, to confuse, to switch issues. And that person gives up their human lives to become a non-human confusing. And the twelfth one on the list is to leave, escape, pretend, withdraw, hide, hide emotions. I'm not angry or afraid. You'll hear people all the time proclaiming what they're not. And by proclaiming what they're not, they're telling you exactly what they are because our words always come from what's resonating and moving within us. So this person finds it easy to get rid of others or write them off. These are people who do not live in relationships with, be- with another being as a being. They live as a body in relationship to another body. So they have relationships with bodies. And Of course, when the bodies measure up, that person's great. If the body stops measuring up, then that person all of a sudden gets thrown out. And that person becomes a non-human escaping or a non-human leaving. So they're the pseudo-solutions of the non-being mind, to which, thank you, we just added another one. Got another little piece of the puzzle. Thanks for the questions. How's that resonate for you, Peter? You still with us, Peter? Uh, he actually dropped. Okay, so we give him a second to see if he comes back in. Cool. And or if you're out there in listener land, if that list resonates anything for you to share or any questions. Then push one. And remember that healing is much more important than problem solving. If you're on one of those uh, stations where we can't see you on our control panel and you do have a question or thought for us, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly. And then if you push one, that'll raise your hand in the control panel, and we'll be able to have a conversation. Peter, find his way back? No, he's not. Hmm. Okay. And I was well, just then looking. We'll just... Um, we also created okay. a page, I thought, um, on Pseudo Solutions, so I'm looking for that link, and I'll put that out there as well. Cool. Sweet. Yep, we did. So I'll put that link to Pseudo Solutions on the notes for today. Cool. Awesome. 
So I was going to move into, seeing we, as we talk so much about responsibility communication, I'm going to kind of go over the, uh, the latest responsibility communication sheet for uh, hmm, 25 years. This sheet was a one-page set of instructions for how to use responsibility communication. And thank you, thank you, thank you to Ms. Magda, who way back years ago, this was her favorite tool when she came to Heartland on the support team. And she really loved to use it. And then when we brought this, when we did this in the uh, online Codependence to Interdependence Communication Practicum. She and Chuck chose to be the the subjects of it. And her brilliant, inquisitive mind just opened a whole different space, changed that whole workshop. And the the, uh, communication instruction set went from one page to three pages, or from one page to three pages as a result of, uh, of her inquiry and, and willingness to go for it. So if you happen to be on the line, Magda, thank you. Happy New Year. Appreciate you. That was a, an awesome piece of work that you did. It actually it extended our uh, intensive. We were doing a Zoom uh, codependence to interdependence communication intensive. And uh, it actually expend, extended that by about three weeks between that and uh, and the uh, power person worksheet that I just went over. That was a really deep, deep intensive. But it is the intensive, by the way, if you uh, want to do a self-study that uh, includes 90 hours, that's nine zero hours of video with all of the teaching, all of the questions and answers, all of the processing of that. And and anybody that happens to be on the show at this moment that was in that intensive, I'd invite you to go back and review the workshop and it'll I promise it will have a whole other meaning by going through that material again. So I'm just gonna kind of read and make comment on that sheet. So First thought on the sheet is that everything linked to fear and or hostility is based in corrupt data and it's a fraud. Corrupt data defiles the mind and the self and to heal we must end our acceptance and addiction to the lies and restore the mind to the ability to honor and perceive the truth which in turn uncovers the awareness of ourselves as eternal love. Unconscious thought disorders, which are the root of all pain, disease, lack, and suffering, are dissolved when they're admitted into a mind where love is conscious, active, and present. When the two meet, if you can hold, you know, this is one of the practices. That's why I often say, take time every day to cultivate your relationship with active, present love. And then if some situation comes along that resonates some part of you that you haven't dealt with, that thought disorder, when exposed to active, present love, will automatically dissolve. That's the core of all healing. 
So each word and behavior expressed and impacting an energy field is a frequency that is vibratory in nature. In a sense, each is an extension or a reflection, an actual energetic appendage of a thought which most profoundly alters the field. So this is, the idea here is to recognize that my words are frequencies, that in, actually my words are frequencies reflective of frequencies of thought, and those frequencies impact my body. And I always get the original. If that thought seems to be on somebody else, they get a carbon copy. They may not be home for delivery, but I always get the original. So each energy that we engage in alters the field and it's expressed from or through a word, a thought, and each reflects conscious or unconscious flip sides of the same coin. It's like you can't have one without the other. The idea here being if I speak a word of, let's say, hostility, I can't speak that word of hostility without having the chemistry of hostility in my body. It's like that old song, you know, love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. A thought of hostility or fear produces chemistry corresponding to the hostility and fear. You can't have one without the other. You can't separate the mind from the body. They're one and the same. Just checking, Jeannie, is Peter back? No, he's not. Was he able to get back on? Hmm. No, he's oh, not back he's on. Okay. Yeah, okay. So only disintegrative energies introduced as thought, but reflected as words, and held within the human system can create the distortions that we call disease, suffering, and death. Nothing else can cause disease, suffering, and death within your structure. And in the ability to own, correctly see, understand, and change my thoughts, and therefore my language and behavior, continuously produces an organizing, break that word down, organizing activity. So it's, it's what turns into organic structure in my mind energy system, in the fields of others it resonates with. And in my words lies the power of life and death. Literally. My human energy system has a mechanism called emotions, and these reflections of thoughts entering the cell create what we call, quote-unquote, chemistry. And they are designed to inform me of the quality and impact on my physiology of my thoughts, my words, the patterns that I entertain or use. So, so the words I use are going to reflect... When they hit a cell, that's going, that energy is going to inform me of the quality of my thought. My emotions are strictly internal, caused by and tell me nothing about the external world. They simply inform me whether my thoughts will destroy or uplift me. 
pain signals internal destruction. If I have a particular thought that I engage in and I'm in pain, my system is warning me that I'm engaging in an energy that's destroying me. So pain is always a signal calling your attention to and informing you about internal destruction. Love and joy signal upliftment. If you've been taught the lie that your emotional issues, your happiness, or your pain are caused by another, you've been taught a system of thought that's absolutely insane. Pointing out that the word sanity means soundness of mind. Joy is not an emotion. It comes for no reason except that love is conscious, active, and present in you. Hostility is not an emotion. Hostility is a drug meant to anesthetize against pain. So joy is not an emotion. Hostility is not an emotion. They're reflections. And I'm just making a note here, so take a second. So the world of perception is purely a product of the mind. The mind converts and organizes its energy patterns literally into pictures, which we've been taught tell us about the world when, in fact, they're void of worldly meanings, but fraught with the truth about their source, my mind. If I'm in pain or disturbance, especially if I'm blaming another, there is much that I and my generations have hidden from ourselves and lied about. The sole purpose of responsibility communication is to learn about myself and what I've hidden in my mind. And I was sharing with you, I was processing with someone the, processing with someone the other day around this worksheet. I delivered it to them and, and was supporting them and using it in a private session. And they kept going to, but, but how is that going to get her to change? Well, but how is that? Well, well what, if I, I, what if I send it and they don't respond? It's like, this process is an internal process meant for you. Yes, it will have an impact on the outer world. And if you do it with full responsibility, it will, gen, it'll, again, 99.999% of the time will produce healing. But you're not writing it for them. You're writing this for yourself. You're doing this to take a deep dive into your own mind. So once again, I'm going to just repeat that last thought. If I'm in pain or disturbance, especially if I'm blaming someone else, there's much that I and my generations have hidden from ourselves. Much that I've lied about to, lied to myself about, pardon me. The purpose of responsibility is to learn about myself, what I've hidden in my mind. I think I see, quote-unquote, what is out there, quote-unquote, but I'm looking at my own patterned thinking turned into pictures. And again, excuse me for just a second, I'm making a note here. So, 
my words will, the, my, what comes out of my mouth automatically will always reflect what's stored in my own carbon-based memory system and is then projected into the false graven images my mind shows me. And when they, you hear that directive, the creator says, have no false gods or graven images. The graven images are the pictures engraved in our minds of a world of bodies that aren't there, but we think are there, that we believe are there, and they're nothing but constructs of the mind those pictures. Nowhere in the world will you find a body. You will find an energy system, yes. If you could see the energy, if you could alter the rate of vibration in which your eye receives information, you would see this worrying mass of electrons, protons, neutrons, and light. You would not see a body. The mind generates this image called a body. It exists nowhere in the world. And my emotions tell me what I'm doing to that. And most of the world, language is how somebody else caused their emotions. If there's pain, I've been betrayed by my own words, words from my own mind, and projected into the pictures of my mind, the content that's painted on the inside of my eyeballs that I call you. Hostility and or fear present in any form defiles perception and indicates my mind is using corrupt data to guide my speaking. Remember that question, who's in there with you? Your power person. When you speak words of hostility and fear under pressure, when under great stress, <clears throat> your power person's voice is speaking through you as though it were your own. Again, keep asking yourself the question, who's in there with me? Language that reflects the presence of conscious act of present love is healing language and restores the mind to truth. Takes great learning to turn that one around. And in the communication, did you hear what I think you said, workshop, we lay out seven steps of responsibility communication. So an event happened, and my perception overrode my experience of that event with a story that was aroused from my carbon-based memory. Most people have a picture engraved in their minds literally a world painted on the inside of their eyeballs and they think they're looking out in the world. <clears throat> when you actually utilize responsibility communication, you become responsible for those pictures. All of a sudden you realize that they are reflections of the content of your own mind. Now it takes a big piece of work to move in that direction to change that game around. So the first step in responsibility communication. We'll probably just get partway through this. Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to lay out an example of the process, and, uh, and that'll probably take up the rest of the show, and then tomorrow we'll go into the seven steps for responsibility communication. So we tend to attract people into our lives through resonance, people with matching bags of garbage, and we will tend to attract people who 
most skillfully know how to resonate our deepest hidden pain. So the law of resonance, remember, creates motion toward in the human realm. So if I have pain in me, I'm going to tend to resonate somebody into my space. So when they resonate something that's pained in me that I'm in denial of, my mind will transparently integrate my unresolved pain into my brain's image of them. And then I tell a story about them. Or I walk away from the interaction talking about them, and I talk to my friend here and my friend there, and I gossip and I slander, and, 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 and the whole conversation, walking away from that conflict is about them. You will know you've made great progress when you walk away from a conflicting situation talking about yourself. That's going to be a reflection of great progress. You've had a conflicting situation, and when you go to sit down with your spouse or friend, you start talking about yourself in that situation rather than the other person. So the projection communication story from the mind in denial looks like First of all, it's frustration, it's anger, fueling the mind, holding the breath. Here I was, excited as usual, and asked a question about a project we're discussing. You, as you usually do, rained on my parade. Your negative comment was a put-down, as though nothing I say has value, and your regular negativity came in as usual. You make me so angry. So that's the projection communication, quick example. Responsibility communication in the same situation, exactly the same circumstance, will look and sound more like, first of all, while taking a breath and paying attention inside, listening deeply within, moving past the anger that's been involved, aroused, past the pain that's been aroused, it's going to sound more like, when you said what you just said, I stopped for a moment and realized that an old issue of being put down really came up in me. I realized my dad always had a comment that indicated he was displeased with me, and no matter what, he would never be happy with me. I realized that I have a lot of old hurt to own and heal. Would you take a breath with me and hold the space of love? I need it. So there's a quick example of the difference between projection communication and responsibility communication. And there are seven very effective steps to follow. And we'll start tomorrow's show out with those seven steps and look at responsibility communication. And if any questions come up for you, we'd be delighted to hear from you and talk about it. So thanks for joining us. I hope your day is awesome and that this new year is the best one yet of your eternal life. Blessings. Bye-bye.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.